So this morning, some point of the chant, we chanted, may we appreciate their benevolence and show our gratitude by accomplishing the enlightened way together. That was after mentioning teachers in our lineage, all the way back to Shakyamuni Buddha. How do we do that? How do we actualize that? How do we actualize appreciation? And how do we show our gratitude? How do we accomplish the enlightened way together? It's something that we we chant often, but we don't pay enough attention to. Maybe we choose to not pay that much attention to. So I wanted to bring a case, bring up a case that goes to the heart of our work, or how it needs to manifest in everyday life. This is case 57 from the Shobogenzo collection. The main case. Guishan said to Yangshan, I have a lay student who gave me three rolls of silk to buy a temple bell in order to bestow happiness upon the people of the world. Yangshan said, When the lay student brought you the silk for the temple bell, what did you give him in return? Guishan hit the platform three times and said, This is my offering. Yangshan said, If you offered him that, how will it be benefiting? Guishan again hit the platform three times and said, Why is it that you dislike this? Yangshan said, it's not that I dislike it, it's just that the gift belongs to everyone. Guishan said, since you know it belongs to everyone, why did you want me to repay him? Yangshan said, I just wonder how you understood that since it belonged to everyone, you could still make it a gift. Guishan said, don't you see? The great master Bodhidharma, who came to this land from India, also brought a gift. We are always receiving gifts from others. Commentary. Giving and receiving are non-dual. Self and other are non-dual. When the way is surrendered to the way, you enter the way. In enlightenment, the way invariably comes to itself. The self gives itself for the sake of giving the self. It is purposeless. Others give the, to others for the sake of giving the other. There is no intention. Spiritual teachings and material wealth are also non-dual. The practices of giving as well as receiving should always be in accord with the need and the imperative of time, place, position, and degree.
to build a bridge, cook a meal, or make an offering is the practice of giving. Loving a mountain, eating a meal, or receiving an offering is the practice of receiving. When such actions are without design, both giver and receiver are united in a single invisible thusness. The capping verse. The great earth innocently nurtures the flowers of spring. Birds trust freely the strength of the wind. All of this derives from the power of giving, as does the self coming into being. So what is giving? What is receiving? What is a gift? Conventionally, conventionally, each of these three words represent a fixed position in our minds. And as such, it is in relation with the other two positions. A giver typically would have a connection with the receiver. And this connection plays a significant role in determining what will be given. The way the gift is received is also influenced by this connection. And of course, by that which is given. So the receiver is interacting and reacting accordingly. It's kind of a dynamic trio that perpetuates expectations and disappointments. And also feeds a contractual kind of relationships between humans, which of course bears weight on how people interact with each other, how we interact with each other. For example, a simple stop at a gas station just to get gas. And these dynamics, these interactions are already set in motion. You hand in your credit card to the attendant, receive the goods, say thank you, and off you go. The same role-playing happens at work, at the food store, at the bank, the doctor's office, anywhere else goods or services are being exchanged or offered. And every, time, every time one of these interactions take place, it seems as if, it seems as if they come to a conclusion. It seems as if when you say thank you, it's done. But is it that way? When we look deeply, is it concluded? What about what is being missed? Are we even aware of what we are missing in such interactions, such, such contractual interactions? It's almost like it is already written before we even begin the interaction. The rules are given, and we are there just to obey them. But what happens when we look at it, when we open it up, when we examine What else is going on while I am playing the role of a customer, hand in my $20, get what I'm there to receive, and go home? Am I done? Have I, am I done with my part of this interaction? Is that all I have to do? Open my wallet, 
take something out of it, hand it over, I am done with my responsibility. It says $20 on the tag. What else do I need to do? What else is there? You know, we live in a society that is obsessed with placing monetary value on practically everything. Everything has some value. It's not surprising that we create and maintain so many contractual interactions with each other. And we reduce ourselves and others to a walking and talking commodity, either on the side of the consumer or on the side of the provider. But what about what is lost on the level of humanity? What about all that? What about the person that is putting gas in your gas tank? Is it possible to see beyond a gas attendant? Is this all this person is? A gas attendant? Is this all you are? Someone who needs to get gas. Is that what we have become? We have been reduced to or reduced ourselves to. Is there a place for an unconditional state of being, state of giving, expressing, unconditional, unconditioned to? the role, the label. Now, the Buddha spoke in length quite often about the practice of generosity. One of the first things he taught, actually, is dhanna, generosity in Sanskrit. To be giving, just to be giving, in a state of perpetual giving. And he spoke about it as an essential aspect of the awakening process. And generosity propels us forward on the path of realization. And it also flows out of realization. So it moves us closer to awakening. And the more awake we are, the more generous we are. The less stingy we are. With everything, but mainly with ourselves. Mostly with ourselves. In one of his sermons, the Buddha spoke about sharing. And he said, If beings knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, without the meal being, being given from somebody, having received the meal from somebody. Nor would the stain of meagerness overcome their minds. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared. If there were someone to receive their gift, they would share it. But because beings, because we do not know, as I know, as he says, the results of giving and sharing, right? We don't know that. So we eat. He says they eat, but we eat without having given. And the stain of meagerness overcomes our minds. Stinginess, 
the mind that possesses, the mind that puts up walls, the mind that separates self and other, the mind that holds on to divisions, labels, gas attendant, the one who is there to receive gas, and the money that is exchanging hands. I think it's pretty scary when we look at it to, to see how low we go. And I think it's very encouraging to see how much work is needed, and how important the practice is in relation to that. There's a lot of joy that comes from sharing with others. That's what the Buddha said. He said, if we know as, or if he can share that with us, that knowledge, that understanding, and ease, a lot of joy that comes from sharing with others. And it's far greater than grasping and accumulating. And yet there is another kind of energy in us that wants to clench and wants to be stingy. An energy that encourages us to be, to be in a state of perpetual stinginess rather than giving. And the energy is encouraging us to contract rather to, uh, than expand, to build walls rather than bridges, to divide rather than unite. It's the same energy, it comes from the same place. And this is why in the eighth grave precept, we vow to share generously, to not cultivate a possessive mind. Well, granted, we come into the practice with a possessive mind. That's why we need to vow to not cultivate it further. But to not cultivate it further means to recognize there is stinginess in me. Otherwise, the word further will not be there. There's already stinginess. Fine. To take responsibility to work with it is to take that vow. I vow to share generously. It's the antidote of the stingy mind, even if it's the last bite, as the Buddha said, I will share it with another, even if it's the last bite, I will not be possessive. The eighth great precept is to recognize no fixed self, that which is holding, that which is holding on to, that which is clenching is not fixed. So we need to recognize it and to realize that no one, there's no one there that can do the grasping. And there is nothing that can be grasped. Even a job, a title, wealth, possessions, none of it. Not because it's not there, it's because you're not there as a separate self. And that has to change. Our, our mindset needs to change for that to happen. And when it does, this realization opens up the door, opens up the door to acts of generosity that are essentially, essentially traceless and self-fulfilling. The act itself is complete. 
Giving is complete. Receiving is complete. It doesn't need anything else. It's not about the next moment. It contains the next moment. So how could it be about it? And yet it is about the next moment because the quality of the next moment will arise out of this one. So in essence, this is the next moment. I often talk about being in the moment as a cliché. It is a cliché, because being in the moment is being in the next moment too. Who can separate? We separate. Only when the self is dropped and other is dropped as well, generosity is boundless. Guishan said in his Quran, don't you see the great master Bodhidharma who came to this land from India also brought a gift. We are always receiving gifts from others. And the footnote says, heaven is filled by it, earth is covered by it. The hand that gives is also the hand that receives. Which means if you're stingy with another, you're stingy with yourself. Big realization. Would you like to be stingy with yourself? When you're holding on to something, you're starving something. You're starving wisdom. It seems as if you are getting something, but we're actually losing a lot in that process. You know, as you heard many times, recording the five remembrances, the and the fourth one is, my actions are my only true belongings, only true belongings. There is nothing to hold on to, but there is a lot of responsibility in my actions. What I do is all I have. What I act, right? What I act, from where do I act? That's all we have. So what are the actions? What does it mean to be grateful? What does it mean to appreciate? What does it mean to express gratitude? Those are the questions that we should work with. If we want to deepen realization, if we want to wake up, and time swiftly passes by, so we better do that. Think about this in terms of state of being, for example. Think about it. What kind of gifts, since we're always giving and receiving, always, nobody is outside of that. What kind of gifts you're giving to people around you when you are grumpy, upset, angry, or act in a stingy way? And what kind of gifts you're giving to the world when you're patient, kind, tolerant? Now recently, Jürgen posted something on Facebook about something Hillary has done and something positive, I should say. Uh, and, uh, and someone we, we know, or we have known a long time ago, wrote back, not much, but wrote back very vile words. A lot of anger. Not really pointing at specifics. Just vile to be vile. 
just to show anger, just to say, I'm pissed off. And a lot harsher words than that. That's giving too. That is giving anger to the world. That is sharing anger with the world. And that goes a long way. Where is the responsibility there? Or is there responsibility or are we just going to say what we want, do what we want, pee everywhere, crap on everything, and off we go. Well, I'm done. I just, I, here's how I feel. I'm going to express it. Because I have a right to express it. Right? First Amendment. I have a right to express anger. I have a right to be violent. I'm just expressing myself. Who is expressing? Does this question even come up? Who is expressing? And what happens after the words are uttered? After the fingers hit the keyboard? And the words are out. What happens? Maybe we don't care. But we do care. Luckily, we here do care. You know, we're always giving gifts, as Grishan says, means there are always ramifications to how we think, to what we say, and to the way we act. It's a great responsibility. And there's so much to appreciate. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to share. There's so much beauty. And how sad is it that so often we take it all for granted and we choose to focus on negativity, we choose to focus on stinginess, we choose to focus on expressing anger rather than working with anger. Of course, that doesn't mean that we don't, ex we don't experience anger. We do. We do. We experience anger, sadness, stinginess. We experience it all. But it's an opportunity to practice. It's what we do. We practice what is. What is can be feelings of anger. Especially this time, you know, I mean, we're looking at these times of very unusual and very charged uh, election period. Very charged. A lot of hatred. And what does that do? What does that, this leave us with? November will come and somebody will get elected. But what about between now and November? What do we create? What do we leave behind? Well, many of us are uh, terrified by uh, an idea of Trump as a president. But we don't recognize that Trump is actually a magnification of us, of our own stinginess, of our own egoic ways of being. It's all he is. And as that, he's a great teacher for us. We should learn from him rather than hate him. How am I acting? What am I stingy? What am I doing? Well, I do my share. I'm going to express myself. I'm going to hate him publicly. What does it do? What does it do to us? 
Now the Buddha said, you will not be punished for your anger, you will be punished by your anger. You're already punished by expressing it in this way. But you is us, me as well. So it's not directed at any specific person, but yet there's only one specific person that can take the responsibility to do something different. This is directed at all of us. And the responsibility is on all of us. We don't have to go seek it. It comes up. It shows up on a daily basis. All that. You know, as we talked about last week, Zazen is considered the heart of our practice. Zazen. Every day. And being in a state of perpetual generosity is the way Zazen needs to manifest in our lives. Zazen needs to express itself through generosity. That's wisdom. Compassion and wisdom are non-dual. There's no wisdom without compassion and generosity, and there's no generosity and compassion without wisdom. It's one and the same. And giving and receiving happens all the time, whether you like it or not. So how much of it comes from a true sense of self, and how much of it comes from working to preserve an illusion of Another question to look at. Maybe we're used to this kind of energy. We almost expect people to resort to such language and behavior. Again, they're just expressing themselves. A week ago, I went to get some pain. Home Depot, and I got a can of pain. I went back home and opened it just about to, I got ready, I put everything together. I was just about to paint. I opened it, and instead of dark gray, it was white. I was ready to paint. I closed the can, put the thing away, went back to Home Depot, returned it, and the woman, it wasn't the person who was supposed to mix it, it was somebody else, I brought it back, and she felt quite bad and she was very apologetic and I said, no, no problem, you know, it happens. And she was shocked that I wasn't pissed off at her or at the person that did that or didn't do it. Uh, she, was, she was shocked. She was so grateful, actually. She thanked me for, for understanding. And it does happen. I mean, so yes, I did lose a little time, but but I gained connection. Something in humanity went up. It's far greater than anything else, you know, so I lost half an hour. Big deal. I mean, what is time, anyway? What are we, what, what, why do we hold that? Why do we hold on to time? You know, we try very hard to hold on to it, to accomplish a lot, and to do a lot. What? Why? Again, what is lost in the process? So yes, many do get pissed off at 
people who give them service because the service is not up to snuff, because it's not what they expect. How dare they do it to me? And it's not the time that's lost. It's the self that is bruised. Because this person did not mix the paint for me. And I'm insulted by that. How could they not do their job? Right? I paid the $20, 38 per gallon. Be nice if it was $20. So I, I gave my cheap of the bottle. I, I gave what I needed to give, and I'm supposed to receive something in that. And I didn't. So if I follow the rules, I need to be pissed off. But we don't follow rules. Or we follow an inviolable law, the law of the Dharma, that is timeless, placeless, situationless. It's a different kind of law. Different kind of law. We expect, we do expect people to act in certain ways. We expect ourselves to act in certain ways. There's a story I shared a while ago about Terry Dobson, who was uh, one of the few uh, American or non-Japanese students of O-sensei in Japan. And uh, he was once riding on a train uh, going up to the mountains. And he said there were a bunch of uh, young Japanese uh, teenagers uh, going up to, to hike in the mountains. So they were singing songs and being happy about going up the mountains. And then uh, and there was this old man sitting uh, in the car next to them. And up above this old man, uh, one of the backpacks had an ice axe attached to it. Sharp ice axe attached to it. So it wasn't tied up very well. And at some point, because of the movement, the ice axe fell down smack on the head on the head of this old man blood came gushing out so the old man and the kid apparently the owner of this backpack saw that and was gasped was as shocked seeing that and the old man recognized it immediately he held his hand he put his hand on the on the wound and uh, he bent over bent over picked up the ice axe handed it to the kid and said, have a nice hike with a big smile. He was in pain, no doubt. But he transcended it. He did something different. He gave the kid something very different than what the kid expected at that moment. He gave him a gift of humanity. Love, kindness, recognition. It wasn't done on purpose. Yeah, there was carelessness. He could have been a little bit more meticulous about the way he tied it up. Absolutely. But it's done. That was done at that moment. And the wound is already there. And the pain is already there. Why inflict more pain? Why perpetuate the pain? Why not end it? Is it needed? 
Is it not more healing to the wound of this old man to act in such ways? Is it not more healing to the body, to the mind, to who we are as human beings, to act this way? Is it possible? Not as a story. Is it possible? Well, the story did happen, but is it possible for us in our lives to act this way? It is possible. We have a 2,500 year of tradition that proves that it is possible, but as we chant, this is the pure land, but it is up to us to make it so. It is possible, but it's up to you to make it so. It is possible. But it's also possible to be stingy with your spirit, to not be giving. So again, how do you choose to live your life? You know, to allow, to allow generosity to flow out organically and freely and fittingly. We have to get beyond thoughts of self-concern, such as pain, such as sadness, such as anger, self-concern. And we have to choose to become more interested in what other people need. So this story recognizes that there was a need, and the need was to be kind. And this old man recognized that need and acted accordingly, acted from wisdom, which means to be attentive, to look, to listen. That means when, when you're having a conversation with another person, however, however long or brief it may be, choose to be completely interested in what this person is saying, in the energy that is behind the words, in the body language, and in the entire person. Even if it's just a gas attendant saying, good morning, what would you like this morning? Look at this person, connect. Give this person yourself, not just $20. It's easier to give $20, a lot more difficult to give yourself. We want easy. But $20 doesn't do it. We need to do a lot more than that. Well, I think we see the results of acting in this way, so we know we have to do a lot more than that. So we need to become interested in each other. We need to choose to see this person, whoever that is, as, as most precious. And we need to see the interaction as the most important. Because at that time there is nothing else to focus on and no other place to be. So why not make it the most important aspect of your life? It is the most important aspect of your life. It is. It's not only disarming negativity and underlying tension in the other. It will also give you a chance to shift the attention from the small eye to the big eye. And what a great relief it is to not be constantly absorbed in thought. 
It's so common for people to be talking with another person while having 70 to 80 percent of their attention taken by constant thinking, commenting, judging. And the level of this self-absorption can go even higher when we are not engaged in a conversation, we are alone. It's draining, isn't it? It's exhausting. It's exhausting to constantly be thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking while there's so much going on. To be self-absorbed is draining. To be attentive to other people, to our surrounding, is recharging ourselves. This is where energy lies. That's how we recharge ourselves. People ask me sometimes, how do I have so much energy to do everything I do? And I really think it has to do with that. I'm, I'm not that interested in me. I'm a lot more interested in you and in what's going on. I find myself boring. And I find you a lot more interesting. I know everything there is to know about what I have done up to now. I don't care about it. But there's a heck of a lot that I don't know about you and about what's next. So why not make it more interesting than you? Why not choose life? Why not choose life? You know, as Bodhidharma said, the greatest gift you can bestow upon the world is the gift of self. The gift of self. He also said, the Dharma includes no being because it's free from the impurity of being. And the Dharma includes no self because it is free from the impurity of self. Those wise enough to believe and understand this truth are beyond, already beyond the self. And will practice, are bound to practice according to the Dharma, since they are beyond the small self. And since that which is real includes nothing worth begrudging, they give their body, life, and property in charity without regret, without the vanity of giver, gift, or recipient, and without bias of attachment. And to eliminate impurity, they teach others, but without becoming attached to form. Thus, through their own practice, they're able to help others and glorify the way of enlightenment. Not the self. The way of enlightenment. The Dharma. And as with charity, they also practice, they also practice the other virtues. But while practicing the virtues to eliminate delusions, they practice nothing at all. Because there is nothing to practice. This is what is meant by practicing the Dharma. Now in this koan, Grishan said to Yangshan, I have a lay student who gave me three rolls of silk to buy a temple belt in order to bestow happiness upon the people of the world. And Yangshan said, when the lay student brought you the silk for the temple belt, what did you give him in return? And Yangshan just hit the platform three times and said, this is my offering. This is my offering. That's what I gave in return. But is it in return? Or is it just an expression? Pure expression of that which belongs to everyone. 
pure expression. Now, when we hear this dialogue from a conventional perspective, it wouldn't make much sense. How does hitting the platform three times offer? How is that an offering? How can it be an offering? Maybe we think Guishan is being disrespectful to the lay student, who after all brought three silk rolls. Sure, it was expensive back then. But on a fundamental level, true giving is free of boundaries. And it's not limited to social rules or customs. Actually, when, when one is freed of self, every action and every gesture expresses boundless giving and extends in all ten directions. There's nowhere it doesn't reach. A kind thought about others, a smile, a hug, a glance. These are all ways to offer deep gratitude and kindness to the world. As long as they arise out of a cultivated spirit of generosity. As long as they arise from a true self. So we have to bring intention to the way we speak, the way we act, to what we choose to think. Even if your thoughts are judgmental, don't think them. Choose to not think judgmental thoughts while judgmental thoughts occur. Choose to focus on the other person while your mind is saying, why does he look like this? What does he think? Is he an idiot? How often do we do that? Maybe we don't even do that. Maybe it just happens automatically, right? That's better. So if we don't do that, then why should we care about what we think? Why do we give so much weight and so much value to what we think? Why do we care about that? Last week I talked about the vital role of intention in relation to Zazen. This is the same. This is the same. We have to bring intention to what we do. To what we do. Without intention, we are like a leaf in the wind, moving by the forces of our habits which actually have their own intentions. And this is what Yangshan means when he says, although it belongs to everyone, you can still make it a gift. Your life can also be offered as a gift to others, as a life of service to others. As a life of service to others. Bowing is the same. When we bow, we bow as service for others, to others. We give up the self. Bowing is an act of letting go of that which does not want to bow. And the way to let it go is to do what it doesn't want. Right? To do what it doesn't want you to do. Because if you do what it wants you to do, you are at the grip of it. You are acting based on habits. You perpetuate it. But if you do what the Dharma is saying, it's not the written words from the sutras. What the Dharma, look around you, you see the Dharma, look at the sky. Be guided by that. 
Bowing will work. Bowing will do what it needs to do and bowing will be an offering to the world as it is. As I was writing this talk, I, I remember the great dialogue, and I'd like to finish with that, great dialogue between a master and his disciple. Dialogue about giving and receiving. And I remember that first time I read that, actually touched me very deeply. When Zhang Yang was chief gardener, he was tending to the melons. Da Yang, his teacher, asked him, when will the sweet melons be ripe? Zhang Yang said, now they're already ripe. Da Yang said, pick the sweet ones and take them away. Zhang Yang said, to whom shall I give them? Dayang said, give them to someone who hasn't been in the garden. Just as a side note, this has nothing to do with melons, as you think of melons. To whom shall I give them? Dayang said, give them to someone who has not been in the garden. Jing Yang said, do you think that people who haven't been in the garden will eat them? Will my kindness be accepted in the world? Will other people be kind to me in return? Why should I be kind when other people are stingy? What if I trust them and they betray me? Don't we think this way? I will be kind if I have some written promise that I will receive kindness in return. That my kindness will be received by others. Why is saying that? Do you think that they will receive? Do you think that people who haven't been in the garden will eat them? Those who do not practice, will they receive my offering? Will they understand what I'm practicing? Dayang said, do you know these people or not? Jing Yang said, although I don't know them, although I don't know them, I can't help but provide for them. Dayang laughed and went out. Although I don't know them, he said, I can't help but provide for them. That is being in perpetual state of giving. There's nothing to do with anything else. You do good just to do good. Just to do good. It is self-fulfilling. This is the life of a Bodhisattva. This is what you signed up for. This is our practice. To do good just for the sake of doing good. And in that, to lose yourself.